I want to also welcome you to JCI. Thanks for being here today. My name is Mike. I serve on the pastoral ministry team. And before I dig into God's word with you here, I want to let you know about a couple of upcoming opportunities just in the next couple of weeks. A week from this Wednesday, November 1st, we have our Wednesday night time of prayer and fasting. It'll be at 6.30 here, in the, here at the church and want to invite you to join and start your month of November the best way possible. And that's gathering with his people in worship and prayer together. And then three days after that, November 4th, we're going to have our, um, what we're calling our Chief's Chapel. We're a, it's just a fancy word for saying a Saturday night service, y'all, because you know that next day there's this football game going on at 8.30 in the morning, and we are going to have church 8, 9.30, and 11 on Sunday. We've had that question. We're having church, but for those of you who maybe you have other things going that Sunday morning, you're more than welcome to join us at 5 p.m. on that Saturday night, November the 4th, for what we're calling our Chief's Chapel Saturday night service. Well, 2023 has been quite a year in the Evans household. It's been a while since I've been uh, in this position preaching, so I thought I'd maybe catch you guys up a little bit on our world. Um, just in the past six months, um, we've had a lot of life events go on in the Evans home. Um, starting in May, our youngest daughter, Mindy, graduated from high school. So um, for the first time since 2009, we don't have a kid at least Summit West. So um, kind of like it, actually. The empty nest is growing on me. Um, then, uh, as you see there, uh, my daughter Katie got married in June, and uh, and then I had the privilege of taking uh, being on a team that uh, went to Scotland uh, with our youth ministry. Had an amazing time there. That was the last week of June. Then we went to youth camp. I'm not sure what went, this is from my wife. That's my wife, um, and you know what? Neither does she, so it's okay. Um, and then uh, um, in August, right after camp, uh, our son Andy got married, and uh, and then we took Mindy to Pitt State to college, and. Uh, then we celebrated our 30th anniversary, and then um, what else happened? Then we started a bunch of groups, about a thousand people in groups, and then Wendy and I went on vacation by ourselves. Yes, sir. It was awesome. So I'm glad to be back with you uh, here today. Um, we are uh, in a series called The Surrendered Life. We've been walking through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi called Philippians. Um, if you've missed one of the past four weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and watch because Pastor Christian has been doing a great job just unpacking this incredible letter uh, to us and for us. But today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles there. If you have the Bible app, you can open your Bible app there. If you don't have a Bible or or a Bible app, that's okay. The words will be up on the screen for you as we get going here in our time of study here today. Well, the big idea of today's uh, time together is simply this. You're gonna hear me say it a lot over the next few minutes. And that's simply this, that Jesus is worth our everything. And my heart and my hope for you as, as we read through this letter is that we capture the heart of Paul and that that heart kind of captures you too that you say, you know what, I wanna love Jesus like this Paul writes about, love, about Jesus. I wanna experience an intimacy with Jesus where I could also say the kind of things that Paul says here in this first half of Philippians chapter three. And this chapter here begins with a command from Paul and a call uh, and a reminder of a couple of things. He starts in chapter three, verse one, saying this. He says, further my brothers and sisters, Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard.
hard for you. So the command that Paul gives right, right out of the chute here in Philippians chapter three is to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, over 16 times in the book, in this letter of Philippians, you see the word rejoice or joy. It's kind of a, an idea that Paul is trying to get across to these Philippians that no matter what's going on in your life, there's always the opportunity to choose to rejoice. In fact, I'd say it this way, to rejoice is a choice. Hey, look, I'm a poet and didn't even know it. How about that? Um, but to rejoice is a choice. And no matter what's going on in your life, good, bad, ugly, you have the opportunity every day to choose to rejoice. And then he gives them a little bit of a reminder where he says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you. Again, it's a safeguard for you. What Paul's doing now, what he's gonna do now is he's gonna remind them of some things that they probably already know, probably have already heard before, but they needed to be reminded of them. If you're gonna walk spiritually healthy, Sometimes we need to be reminded of the things that we've been taught before. And that's what we're gonna do here as we walk through this passage of scripture. And Paul's gonna give three kind of safeguards to these Philippian Christians. The first is gonna be in the form of a warning against what I would call joy-stealing self-righteousness. We're gonna be introduced to a group of folks called the Judaizers. I'll explain who they are in just a minute and, uh, and kind of how we can avoid legalism in our walks with Jesus. And then we're gonna be um, introduced to a reminder of whose righteousness we must pursue. Like what this whole thing, what this whole God, Jesus, and Christianity thing is all about. And then third, um, Paul's gonna give some marching orders on how to daily, what I call surrender our righteousness to, the G, to this Jesus who is so worth our everything. So if you're here today, or maybe you're watching online and you've gotten off track a little bit spiritually, like if you were to be really honest with me and we were to have a conversation with each other, you'd say, you know what, Mike? 2023 started out really good, but right now I'm kind of struggling and wrestling through some things and I'm off track and I just kind of need a little encouragement. Or maybe you're here today and you've kind of forgotten or gotten distracted about Jesus and haven't really thought much about him, haven't really meditated on who he is lately. Or maybe you're here today and you, you, you have a heart for Jesus, you, you're ready to go, but you just kind of need some next spiritual steps, maybe some marching orders. I'm so glad wherever you're coming from here today, I'm so glad you're here today because I think today's text will help us in all of those areas. So first, let's look at the warning Paul gives of self-righteousness. He says, starting there in verse two, he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. We'll get to that in a second. For it is we who are the circumcision who serve by the Spirit, who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so maybe you're thinking now, Pastor Mike, I don't really know what's going on here. Why is he calling these Philippian Christians, why is he say, using all these names in this letter like dogs and evildoers and mutilators? What's going on here? Well, let me maybe give you a little context. Um, kind of running around the area of, uh, of Philippi in that day was a group of people called Judaizers. Now, these were, if I can explain it, I think I can explain it, explain it pretty simply. Um, Judaizers were Jewish Christians. Some of them grew up Jewish. Some of them kind of grafted into the Jewish faith, but they all were there and their whole deal was that they... Um, they regarded the Levitical laws of the Old Testament as still binding on all Christians who wanted to be saved. And so if I were to put it, the, the cookies at the bottom shelf, I'd say the Judaizers were going around telling people it was Jesus plus obedience to the law 
that equals salvation, okay? Jesus plus the law equals salvation. And they're going around telling people that's the way it should be. And one of the things they were going around proclaiming and enforcing was that if you became a follower of Jesus and you hadn't been circumcised as a baby, well, then you needed to go ahead and take care of that as an older person, if you wanted to be a true Christian. And some people did this as a choice. Pastor Christian talked about that last week in his message that, that Timothy was circumcised as an adult. But they were saying, these Judaizers were saying, you had to be circumcised as a requirement for salvation. And Paul is disagreeing with them, we'll see. He's saying you don't have to go back to the old ways in order to live a life centered around Jesus. You don't have to experience, that's not how you get righteousness. And Paul actually says to watch out for anyone who would tell you that. In fact, it goes so far as to call these Judaizers dogs. Now, how many of you here today have a dog? I have a dog. Most of the hands are up. Okay, and that's cool because dogs are awesome. My dog's name is Jerry, okay? And I... Okay, I know it's kind of a silly name, but if you knew Jerry, he's kind of a silly dog, and so that's why we named him Jerry, okay? Paul's not talking about a pet dog that we like, the dog that you love. He's talking about the kind of wild animals that would kind of roam the streets throughout Europe in that day, that they were, they were kind of vicious and they were homeless. And if you kind of went up to them, they would attack you. He was speaking about dogs in like a negative uh, context here. And then he goes on to call them evildoers and then mutilators of the flesh, speaking to the circumcision issue, okay? And he was saying for those who are Christians, there was no need to go through those kinds of things anymore. That's not the way things were done. In fact, Paul says there in verse three and four that we are the circumcision, that, that it's not about jumping through ritualistic hoops and like all these different law-abiding things in order to prove your righteousness, but it's about trusting in Jesus. In fact, he says there three things. He says to serve God, to, if we serve God by his spirit, if we glory in Christ Jesus, we pursue him. And then if we put no confidence in the flesh, in other words, we don't put our confidence in jumping through spiritual hoops to become righteous before God, but we put our confidence not in the flesh, but in Jesus. Okay, and that's the bottom line that Paul is saying. And then Paul kind of does something interesting here. He kind of he transitions his conversation. He said, basically what I see him saying here is like, Philippians, if for the sake of argument, it like did matter. Like if I did put confidence in my flesh, I kind of stand on pretty good footing. Like Paul goes on there in verses four and five. He, he walks through things he could put his confidence in, like his heritage, that he was circumcised on the eighth day as a baby, as the law required, as all Jewish babies would be circumcised. He was born of the people of Israel. So he's from the nation of Israel. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means both his mom and his dad were pure blood Jewish, right? Um, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is the tribe that gave Israel their first king, Saul, who Paul is named after, right? His former legalism, that he was a law-abiding, law-keeping um, Pharisee who studied under one of the great teachers of the day, a guy named Gamaliel, right? So he, he knew his stuff, his zeal. He persecuted the church, his self-righteousness. He, as far as the external demands of the law were, in other words, as far as being a law-abiding citizen, if anyone could be considered righteous, Paul could be considered righteousness, righteous. When it came down to the law, 
Paul had it down, you guys. He could stand on equal footing with any Judaizer that walked the streets of that day. But Paul is saying here, guys, it is not about our spiritual resume. It's not about the notches, spiritually speaking, in our belt that make us righteous before God. It is all about following Jesus. Can I put it this way to you this morning? Righteous, Paul's warning is simply this, that righteousness isn't rooted in what we do for God. It's rooted in what God has done for us through Jesus. Religion is about what you do for God. Christianity is about what God did for you through Jesus. And that is cause to celebrate. That is cause to rejoice. That is unbelievable. I think that is the thing that changed the game for Paul, that took him from being a passionate persecutor of Christians to a passionate pursuer of Jesus. When he realized that it wasn't about the law, but that it was all about Jesus, that changed the game for him. And I wonder this morning, how has the grace of God changed you? Like if we were sitting, if we, if I like, if you and I, you and I, or maybe me and Wendy and you and your spouse, if you're married, if we went across the hall there and we uh, were sitting in the cafe drinking some of that great coffee that our volunteer home team makes for you every morning, every Sunday morning, and we were just sitting there talking and I asked you the question, how's the grace of God changed your life? Like, like if I were to, if you were to give me like two or three things about how Jesus has worked in your life, what would you say? Like, what would be your response to that? When did the spiritual light come on for you. And if it hasn't yet, maybe today's that day for you. Maybe today's the day where the spiritual light's gonna come on for you. I hope and pray that that would happen. You know, one of my favorite books that I read, I've read in my life outside of the Bible is a book by an author named Philip Yancey uh, called What's So Amazing About Grace. Um, it's a great book on the grace of God. And uh, one, of the, um, one of the stories he tells in that book is about a group of British uh, philosophers and thinkers and uh, theologians who got together um, in England about 60 years ago. And they were, um, they were at this conference talking about comparative religions. What makes each religion unique and kind of um, how they contribute to the world. And, and they got to the point where they were talking about Christianity and Christianity's unique contribution to the world. And into the conference walks a medieval literature professor from Cambridge University named C.S. Lewis. And he walks into the room and he looks around and he sees all these kind of cogity old, old guys talking about things, probably smoking their pipes, doing their thing, wearing their tweed jackets. I have a picture in my mind like that. He walks in and he asks a question. He says, what's all the rumpus about? Now, rumpus is a cool word, isn't it? Don't you like want to use the word rumpus in a sentence? I think you should make that a goal this week. Anyway, but he walks, he walks in and, he goes, and basically he says, what's going on? And, he, and they, the people in the conference, they tell him, they're talking about religions and different uniqueness, unique contributions they make to the world. And they asked Lewis, they said, what do you think the unique contribution of Christianity is? And he said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. Do versus done, if we were to say it as Americans today. The fact of, that God loves us free of charge, that there are no strings attached when it comes to the love of God for you and for me. That's what sets Christianity apart, that we serve a risen savior 
who has come and he died and he rose again so that we could have that great exchange. His righteousness could become ours and we could experience the grace of God on a daily basis that we don't have to do anything for God because he's done it all for us. What we do for God is a reflection of our love for him, but we don't do it to earn our righteousness in front of him. Amen. That is a beautiful truth that Christianity has. And can I tell you that this same Jesus who was worth Paul's everything is also worth your everything. Paul speaks some amazing words as we continue on in our text of study here this morning. He starts talking personally about Jesus. And I love this so much. He starts in verse seven. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Can I say this to you today, that it is the grace of God found in Jesus that is the greatest game changer that this world has ever seen or known or ever will see or will know. It is all about Jesus, you guys. Can I ask you another question? If we were sitting across the hall over at the cafe, drinking that coffee or tea or water or whatever it is you're drinking, I would not only just ask you how the grace of God has changed you, but I would ask you, like, how do you live out that grace in your life? And how has that changed the way you live your life every single day of your life? Because you see, this, this Christianity thing is not a religion. It's not a system of rules. If this was all about rules, I'd be out. And you probably would be too. But it's, a, it's rooted in the beauty and the truth and the goodness and the grace of God extended to us through Jesus. And if we were sitting across the table from each other and, and I was asking you questions, I would hope that you would go, hey, Mike, like, tell me about your story. And I'd go, hey, cool, I'll tell you. Um, so many of you haven't, um, I haven't been in the pulpit here in a while. And so some of you don't know my story. I'll share a little bit of it now, but I would tell you this. I would tell you that I did not grow up in a family that valued God, Jesus, and Christianity at all, okay? This was, we were not a Christian family at all. In fact, my dad um, was a hard living man and he passed away uh, when I was six years old. So it was just my mom and my brother, my younger brother and I, my mom is one of the heroes of my life if for no other reason that she raised two rambunctious hellions Mike and Phil, and, and survived and still lives to this day to tell about it and to tell stories about what crazy kids we were. My mom is one of my heroes. But when, when I was 10 years old, so four years after my dad died, my mom had had it with us. And so she, we moved from one, she didn't quit on us. We just moved from one suburb of, of Dallas to another so that we could be closer to um, a couple of my uncles. And uh, when we moved um, to Garland, where we moved to, um, we started going to a church simply because we needed to meet people and we didn't know anybody in the town besides my two uncles. And so we started going to this church and my mom found out um, as it kind of, as things turned towards summer that she could send me and my brother to camp for $35 each for four days. She was in, all right? So we went to camp. And while I was at this Christian camp called Impact, for the first time really in my life, I probably heard about God in my life, just, you know, God loves you, but didn't really, didn't really register. But at this camp, um, I had a great leader and a great, um, it was a great evangelical camp. And I, at this camp, I heard for the first time in a way that I could understand that God loved me, that I was a sinner in need of a savior, 
that Jesus died and rose from my sins and that if I gave my heart to him, I could go to heaven when I die. It was that simple. And I thought, wow, I'm gonna do it. So I gave my heart to Jesus on August the 9th, 1980. I remember that next day, um, we, I, we, my mom, we, bus drove us back to the church. Uh, mom came to pick me up. We drove, we drove home to, and we're sitting in the driveway in front of our little ta- townhouse there. Um, and uh, I said, and my mom, she goes, well, Michael, that's how she talks. Michael, uh, did you have a good time at camp? And I said, mom, I did, um, but I need to tell you something. And um, I mustered up all the courage I could. And I said, mom, I gave my heart to Jesus at camp. And she didn't know what to do with that, you guys. She had no idea what I was really even talking about. And she just kind of looked at me and she goes, well, that's nice. Got out of the car and went into the house. (laughs) Can I tell you, the next year my brother went to camp again and gave his heart to Jesus. The next, and soon after that, Sitting on my mom's bed, my mom and my, bro- my brother and I sat and walked my mom through the sinner's prayer. I stand before you today, not flashing a spiritual resume, but the only reason I can stand before you today is because of the grace of God in my life extended through Jesus. He is a family-changing God. He is a life-changing God. And f- over 40 years ago, I gave my heart to the one who is truly life. And I've never lived to regret that decision. My life has been a love affair since then with the Jesus who I love with all of my heart. And the only reason I stand before you and testify to you about Jesus is not because of my spiritual resume, because of the, but because of the same grace that saved the apostle Paul, because he is worth everything. Well, Paul gives a reminder then of what the whole point of following Jesus is. We've already kind of been talking around it. Let's talk about it. When we encounter the grace of God, it changes the why of our faith. Paul's why, to know Christ, to gain Christ, to walk by faith in Christ. It changes the game, you guys. Instead of pursuing power and possessions, prestige, position, all those things that, that we think give us like strokes and give us identity. We don't put our righteousness in those. We put our righteousness in Jesus. And I love how Paul testifies in verse 10 about the big idea of this passage again. He says, I wanna know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, the, and, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul talks here about wanting to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Like not just the power to save him from eternal separation from God, but the resurrection power to live in daily spiritual victory because he knows Jesus. Paul talks about participating in his sufferings. Paul had been a Christian, Paul had been a follower of Jesus for over 30 years to this point. He was on his third missionary journey. He had experienced pretty much everything you could experience um, as a follower of Jesus, the good, the bad, the ugly persecution, like, like none of us has ever experienced before. And he said he wants to participate with Jesus in those sufferings in a world that's hostile to Jesus. He said he wanted to become like Jesus in his death, knowing, probably had a premonition that the end result of his sanctification, the end result of his spiritual growth was going to be to die for Jesus. He knew that was coming. And then he says something very humble to, to somehow attain the resurrection of the dead, that one day he would be risen with Paul, or he would be risen with Jesus to be with him for eternity. This morning's reminder is simply this, you guys. Paul uses these verses um, here, seven through 10, to remind us that it's all about Jesus and that he is worth our everything. 
But then Paul goes on to give some directions, some what I would call marching orders from his life to these Philippians. He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself as yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's he saying here? He's saying, you guys, you need to run forward with endurance. Run this race persevering with endurance focused on Jesus. He gives the guiding principle of his life to lean into Jesus always. So in light of the warning that Paul gives against the legalism of the Judaizers and in light of the person and work of Jesus and who he is in his life, these marching orders are really simple. There's just two of them. One, like I already said, to pursue Jesus with endurance, to press into Jesus with your life and for your life. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for six months or 60 years to continue to press into Jesus. Like I said, Paul had been a follower of Jesus for decades at this point, but his life's ambition was to continue to move forward in his relationship with Jesus. You say, what does that look like, Michael? Maybe let me give you an example. Um, just this past Tuesday night, I've been um, leading and helping to lead a group of men and women and couples through the book of Romans. It's been really fun on Tuesday nights here in the church, about 200 of us. And uh, um, I, I'll teach or someone or Pastor Ryan or uh, one of our elders uh, will teach. Um, this past week, uh, my wife taught. Um, she's my favorite teacher. She's the best teacher. I don't know. I can say she's the best teacher in this church. Christian's probably watching. Um, but she's an incredible teacher. I'll just say that. And she's an amazing teacher, okay? And then uh, we'll do that for about 20 minutes, and then we dismiss to, to tables where people can discuss and do community and, and learn together what God's teaching them through the Word and all of that. So this past Tuesday, my wife, Todd, walked, walked us all through Romans chapter 5, did a great job. And after she was done teaching, um, an older lady, um, Donna Higgins, she was in the last service, and she said, I could say this, so it's cool. Um, but Donna came up, and she just kind of touched Wendy on her arm and said, Wendy, you did such a great job. That was awesome. Can I get the video of that? I had a couple friends that weren't here, and I'd love them to hear it too and all that. And Wendy was like, that's great, Donna. And I was, I was kind of eavesdropping, listening in, and I just said, I, I kind of looked at Donna, and I know her pretty well, and um, I just said, Donna, like, how old are you again? And she said, well, I'm 82. I'll be 83 this Halloween. And I thought to myself, Donna and her group of lady friends um, two years ago walked through our scripture track together. Remember, Shelly? They had that table right there in the front so I could keep an eye on them because they, you know, they could get in trouble, okay? And uh, so they spent two years ago, and then last year, they spent a whole year studying the prophet Elijah, walking through different books, learning about his life. And then this year, they're doing Romans, I'm thinking to myself, you're 82 years old, wow. And I said, I said, Donna, like, what keeps you coming to this? She, and she looked at me and she just said, Pastor Mike, I just have so much to learn. You know what it means to run with endurance? To when you've walked with Jesus for I don't know how long she has, 50, 60 years, to still have the humility to say, I still have a lot to learn. Because the Christian life is all about the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all about serving and loving and then falling. And when you fall, getting up and repenting and, and pressing back into Jesus and moving forward spiritually. That's the goal. And you guys, is the race tough? Is it hard sometimes to walk with Jesus? Yes. Are there times when you just wanna punt, when you wanna exit stage left from, this, from, the, from the challenges we face as followers of Jesus? If you're anything like me, yes. 
I sometimes feel that way. Maybe you're here today and you feel let down or maybe you feel hurt, maybe by this church, maybe by me. I'm sorry if I did, but you hear what I'm saying. Maybe you are here today and you're wrestling through some really, really difficult things and you're wondering, is it really worth it? Can I say to you today, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth our everything. In fact, he's the only one worth running with endurance for. Can I say to you today that the prize is worth the pain? The second, the first marching order to run with endurance, the second one is to run towards Jesus with focus. Listen, Christianity is a walk. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And the goal really is you're not gonna get perfect. You're not gonna get it all figured out in a day. You're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna have good days. You're gonna have bad days. Sometimes by things that happen to you, some things by, by sinful choices that you make yourself. But the goal is really progress towards Jesus and not perfection. And the key question I really wanna ask you is this. Are you taking spiritual steps towards Jesus? And I think, you know, that, that one of the things that keeps us from taking spiritual steps towards Jesus as consistently as we should is, is not because we get focused on terribly sinful things, but we just get focused on the wrong things. And those things kind of take the throne of Jesus, where Jesus belongs, and we kind of give our attention to those, and, those, um, and that kind of trips us up. I, just this past week, and no pun intended, I was reading uh, New Morning Mercies, a devotional by Paul David Tripp. And uh, I read this this past uh, Monday, I believe, uh, Sunday or Monday, and I just thought, you know what, this is so helpful that I thought I'd share it with you as I kind of round third and head towards home in this message. Paul, said this, Paul David Tripp said this. He said, I find that most of the things that lay claim to my heart and battle for the position that only love for, for God should have are not evil in and of themselves. The desire to be right, to be respected, to own possessions, to have some control, to experience pleasure, or to eat delicious things, amen, is not inherently evil. Thank God, because my wife made this pumpkin chocolate chip bread yesterday. Holy moly. But here's the thing that you and I need to remember what the battle for the love of our hearts is all about. A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. When good things become controlling, they command the affection of our hearts and then shape our words and behaviors. And when this happens, they take the place in our hearts that only God should have. Let me maybe say it this way. Any good thing that becomes an ultimate thing ultimately will become a destructive thing. You guys, there are a lot of good things that we focus on that are not named Jesus that will destroy us if we allow them because they're not ultimate. Sports, our kids, financial success, work, fitness. There's so many. You, you fill in the blank for what that, what that might be for you. Those are good things, but they're terrible idols and they're counterfeit gods. They're not what we need to put on the throne. And my question for you is simply this. Have you lost your spiritual focus? The word of God today is saying, listen, lean into Jesus Run with endurance. And remember, this journey is a road of progress, not perfection. Don't let yesterday's failure or success keep you from moving forward spiritually. So many of you, so many of us, I won't say you, that's rude. So many of us um, get so focused on yesterday's failures that we don't even, we're not able to see clearly um, what God wants for us. Some of us have walked into today 
and you felt like you, you were listening to what I call the three F's like crazy. You're a fraud, you're a faker, and you're a failure. Like that's what you heard coming into church this morning. Can I say to you that those are not from the Holy Spirit of God? Can I remind you of the grace of God? Maybe, this, maybe on your way into church or on your last night, you opened a website that you shouldn't have. You yelled at that loved one that you committed to do better with and you just kind of keep tripping up. Maybe you lashed out loud at a customer, an employee this week, whatever it is. And the enemy is just doing a number on your head and your mind and your heart. Can I say to you, you belong here. <laughs> Because the church has never been intended to be a country club for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. And listen, we don't come to Jesus or we don't clean ourselves up and kind of unwind all the gross stuff and then say, okay, now Jesus, I'm ready to talk to you. No, that's the, in fact, it's the opposite is what we do. We come to Jesus in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our neediness, in our pain. And we say, Jesus, I'm a mess but I'm your mess, can you fix me? Can you help me? Can you redeem this? See, that's what God wants us to do, to not let yesterday's failure or yesterday's success keep you from moving forward spiritually. Bottom line it for me. Let me bottom line it for you. If you're a Christian here today, and maybe you've lost your focus or maybe you've gotten off track, don't take the bait that to get on track again, you gotta start following a bunch of rules. Realize this today, that it's all about Jesus and bring your brokenness to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm a mess. It's okay, I'm a mess too. And say, Jesus, can you fix this? Can you help me? That's the, that's the call today. That's the call that God wants to put before us all today, that Jesus is worth our everything. So if you're a Christian, don't take the bait that it's about following rules to make you righteous. But if you're not yet a Christian here today, or maybe you're just really far from God in your own heart and mind, and you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, Mike, if that's what Jesus is like, like I've heard a lot of things about Jesus over the course of my life, but if, but if Jesus is the one who died and rose for my sins and who, who doesn't want me to fix myself before I come to him, but wants me to come to him and then let him fix me, I got a lot of fixing, but I'm in on that. If that's you today, then here's what you have to do to kind of come to Jesus or come back to Jesus. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit you're a, sinner, you're a sinner in need of a savior. B, believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. And then C, choose to give your heart to him. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, it says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And that's the call today. In just a couple of minutes, I'm going to pray for you. And if, if your heart is in a place where you're like, I need to come to Jesus or I need to come back to Jesus, get ready. But before we do that, I'm going to put a, a couple of prayer meditation questions on the screen that I just want you to consider and prayerfully think through. And then I'll be back here in two minutes.
Lord Jesus, thank you for the reminder this morning that it's not about following a bunch of religious rituals or jumping through a bunch of spiritual hoops to achieve righteousness, but that it's all about Jesus. God, forgive us when we put things on the throne not named Jesus, that serve as terrible gods, but but that we do anyway. God, forgive us for that. Lord, I wanna pray right now for any young or old person here today who needs to come to Jesus, maybe for the very first time, to the real Jesus, the Jesus whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light, the, the Jesus who is full of grace, truth, of course, but grace, his arms are open wide. God, I pray that if there be any here today who need to give their heart to Jesus, they would just in the silence and the safety of this moment would admit what so many of us already have, that they're a sinner in need of a savior. And they would say just in the silence of this moment, um, in the privacy of their own hearts, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and rising from the dead. I open my heart to you and wanna receive your grace come into my life and make me the kind of person you've created me to be. If there's any here today that that's the prayer and the cry of their heart to come to you or to come back to you, God, I pray that they would do that, have the courage to do that and then to have someone and then to let someone know. God, we thank you for this time together as a community of believers. Lord, I pray that as we walk from this place that we would walk not just reminded but motivated that this is a marathon, not a sprint, and that we would run this race for you with endurance, never stopping, and with focus on Jesus, our ultimate Savior and Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, Journey, before we let you go today, thanks again so much for being with us. Um, if you are a first-time guest, then um, you, if you take that black and white connection card and take it to the Connection Center, we'll make a $10 donation on your behalf to, um, to Lifesong for Orphans um, and uh, would love to do that for you. If you're here today and you need spiritual care in any, any way, you need prayer, maybe you are ready to make a spiritual decision, you just need some help. Um, if you are here today and you have a friend who's making a spiritual decision or needs some prayer, come with them up here. Our spiritual, some of our spiritual care team will be up here. Pastor Ryan will be up here. I'll be up here. We'd love to, to pray with you and pray for you. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for being here today. You're dismissed and we'll see you next week.